it looks like we're going on a march. Let's go. That was the voice of Governor Glenn Youngkin, who made news last week becoming the first ever governor to join and help lead off a state march for life. We also heard from Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears, who said we can't afford to be cowards when it comes to protecting life. We're going to update you on these highlights and more. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, Victoria, as we stated in our opener today, Governor Yunkin has now made history as the first governor to ever join and even help lead off a state march for life. Why is that significant? And what did it mean to you specifically as someone who has had a key role in founding Virginia's annual March for Life. Yeah, when you think about the significance of this march being we're in the fourth year, and this is the first time we've even had a remotely pro-life governor. We had a really hostile governor prior to this. So under the first several marches, we were really reacting to things that Governor Northam had done and said about the issue of abortion. And now to go from that, and especially last year, our march was very much about voting your values. It was very much about don't just stand here and march. We were heading into an election where we could make a difference. And then we come into this March, and now we've made that difference. We have that governor, and he's not just saying pro-life things. He's willing to stand with us. So it was really an incredible moment. And I did not know that he was the first governor. That was news to me. I hadn't really paid attention to the other states. But when you think about where the states are that have marches, they're in many hostile areas. California just started a march. Mm -hmm. Connecticut is not exactly pro-life central. you know. So they're in places where they are against adversarial governments. Yeah, and I really think it helps for our leaders, our representatives to see visually people care about this. And one thing that was special for me is that a new thing is we had started these speak up teams across the state. And so it was really special for me to be able to march alongside members of our speak up team. They came out from Hanover, Charlottesville, Fairfax. Um, So it's really neat to see people locally engaging and coming to Richmond because it is that important. And they were really excited to see the governor. You could tell people were really jazzed. And I just loved, you know, the media asked him something like, you know, why are you marching? He just said, look, I'm I'm a governor. I'm pro-life. We march. It was almost so understated, so simple. Like, yeah, why wouldn't I march? Which I thought was just great and people just loved. Did he have his fleece jacket on? Yes, he, of course, did. In fact, um, I don't know if you followed, but yesterday at the Capitol, they actually had Superman come to visit, you know, Dean, uh, what's his name? Dean Kane. Kane, Dean Kane. And he's wearing the Yunkin vest in all the pictures. People got their <laughs> selfie with him. I'm like, I guess when people come to the Capitol, we even fit them with the Yunkin vest. Well, I wish we would have known Superman was there because Wonder Woman showed up at our march. <laughs> I, I see that. We had someone dressed in costume for the march, which if you go to the National March for Life, they get pretty decked out. I, this is the first I've seen somebody kind of go all the way for our march. Yeah. Well, it was really fun. And we do want to just share a few more highlights from that special day. Let's start with Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears' speech. Her talk was just infused with Bible verses, including verses from Psalm 139, such as the phrase, your eyes saw my unformed body. Now, I thought that was super interesting because I hadn't really thought about it in that way. It was just something about the way she was saying it that really just turned a light bulb on in my head that God is really saying in that verse that he knew us before we were fully developed. You saw my unformed body 
body. Um, that means God saw us before we could even be physically seen by the naked eye. Yeah, well, I think that's actually pretty interesting considering so much of, I think, the Supreme Court precedent around this is, is there, a, is it a life? Is there a body? You know, is there a heart beating? It's about the formation, you know, and that seems to be so critical. So I think God's saying, no, it's really actually not about that. It's actually before all of that. And Winsome brought that out. But I also thought another part of her speech that day was really pretty amazing. And it made you stop and think um, when she quoted Revelation 21, not one that I think, I mean, some people would think, OK, we're going to quote Psalms. But she quoted Revelation 21, and it she gave this sobering list of people who will be reserved for God's eternal judgment. That's what yeah, the chapter is about. Verse, yeah. yeah, and it, um, you know, the top of the list, her point was it's not what you would expect. She said, you know, it's not a murderer, which is what you would think. It's actually, well, I'll let you listen to it for a minute. And then I want to leave you with this. And it's an encouragement, but it's also a warning. Revelation 21 verse 8 says this. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, just quick list. It tells us who will not enter heaven. And number one on that list is not what you think. Murderers are listed at number four. Number four. Number one, it says cowards. You didn't think about that, and I didn't realize that. Realize that. Cowards are number one on that list. And it is because we have lost faith. And faith means we don't obey the Lord. So we can't be cowardly in what we're doing because the other side is not cowardly. And we know we have right on our side. We know we have right on our side. And so we will go and we will stay on the battlefield and we can't ever leave. I really thought that was a timely word for the crowd that day because you have, when you think about it, hundreds of people listening who have been some of the strongest champions for life since day one in this battle. They have been in it for years, but it's easy for all of us to just grow weary and kind of be tempted to settle back and become a little more passive, especially when you start thinking about that the Supreme Court decision that's coming up might make things easier but that's not really the case, right, Victoria? This isn't the time for us to kind of sit back and take it easy. No, it's I mean, actually com the complete opposite. If the Supreme Court really overturns Roe through the Dobbs case, it's going back to the states. I mean, the attention turns back to the states actually are legally permitted to address abortion in the way they see fit. So all eyes will go to the state capitals and we will need courage, which was her point. And I think it was great because all the, you know, there's a whole slew of legislators standing there. And of course, you know, she's she's literally kind of, I mean, yes, she's talking to the crowd, but she's talking to those guys too, because it's not just about voting sometimes, it's about speaking. You know, we had the Baby Born Alive Act that we dealt with during the General Assembly. And that was post-birth is what we were talking about. And we couldn't even have a Senate that would pass that. They didn't even have the courage to do the right thing in the face of a baby who has been a part of a failed abortion. I think uh, that's alive and laying on the table. Exactly. And so I think courage is I mean, you wouldn't think that takes a lot of courage, but apparently it does. Yeah. And I like what you're saying about it going back to the states, because that's when this, the states are going to need to hear millions of voices. That's when we got to gear it up even more because then they're going to be, you know, in a lot of ways, starting from scratch, making policy to reflect that state. So I think that's a key point. Well, speaking of the Born Alive bill, we also had the honor of hearing from that bill's champion, Delegate Nick Freitas, who addressed us at the march. 
And, you know, once again, as it has been with Delegate Freitas, you could just feel the passion on this issue coming straight from his heart. I mean, he just, the emotion is authentic with him. So let's just listen to a little bit of that speech. I want to be careful here. I have no idea what it is like to be a young woman that finds herself in that position that is going to have to sacrifice a whole lot she didn't count on at that stage of her life to have a child. But I do know what it's like to be her son. And she's here with me today. And the bottom line is, is that that moment, when she could have had a lot of other options, she chose me. And the reason why, the reason why all of us are here today is not just because we want to save that child, it's because we want to save that child, we want to save that mother, we want to save that family. And because what all of us understand at a core fundamental issue is that humanity is not a grant of government, it is a gift from God. And because of that, and because of that, there is no amount of bribery, there is no amount of temptation, there is no amount of intimidation, and there is no threat that will ever stop us from defending that innocent human life. Thank you for being here today. And how great was it that he not just um, gave this great speech, but just honored his mom in what she had done for him. And the fact that she was there, I mean, it was just, I mean, his his speeches are always great, but that was just beautiful, especially, you know, we're coming up on Mother's Day. It was just, it was just a beautiful moment. Yeah, and I loved his comment, life is not a grant from government, it's a gift from God, another thought-provoking statement. And I think the reason he has so much conviction Um, Because I was thinking about this. He is dedicated to championing this bill in the face of mockery, political pressure, because he has personally experienced this issue with his mom, but also because of his clear fear for God. And what I was thinking about with that is that clearly if we really want to make progress on this issue and reverse years of sanctioning death at the government level – it's not going to happen with just, you know, people thinking pure policy. It's got to happen with conviction. It's got to start within the body of Christ. It's got to start with the conviction of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts. And really, it's got to start with us. Well, I think we want to believe that everybody understands murder. But the bottom line is, this is these are all matters of morality. God tells us what's right and wrong, and we ought to expect the church to lead. It ought to be the church that is standing in front of the secular world saying, this is what's right and wrong go in this way. You know, that's what he's called us to do. And um, that's why they should be out at the march. That's why they should be, you know, in their churches talking about the life issue. All right. Well, we're going to give some updates on other issues happening in our state. But I just want to encourage our listeners to stay with us to the end because we are closing out today with a really stirring prayer from a wonderful pastor, a black leader in our state that's made a huge difference. And he prepared us to march with this prayer. So don't miss out on that blessing. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. If you're enjoying the show, help us encourage others to speak up by giving us a five-star review and sharing it with friends. Thanks for listening. A key reason the Virginia March for Life was held on April 27th is because that is veto session day. That's when all the General Assembly members reconvene to review the some 150 vetoes or amendments Basically, actions that have been taken on the bills by the governor, and then all the legislators have to decide whether they're going to try to overcome the vetoes with the with a two-thirds vote or accept the amendments. 
So not only was really important work going on that day, but it also meant the representatives were all in town to be able to see the marchers. Yeah, we had a lot of them actually come down, step out of caucus. So that's when they get together and they pow out, you know, sort of like team huddle before you go out on the field. Um, You know, they actually left that to come down to see the march, which I think was really significant. And I'll never forget the very first march we held. Uh, Senator Norman, who was the majority leader at the time, went on the radio and literally said the most important thing that happened that day wasn't what happened in the building. It was the march that happened outside the building. And I still remember that and think it is really important that this is all going on at the same time. Yeah, I saw some social media posts from our Speak Up Hanover members saying, here's a picture of all the Hanover delegates, representatives that were out there. So it meant something to the people there at the march as well. Um But after the march, I mean, maybe even an hour after, we sent out text alerts about some very dramatic things happening in the General Assembly that I want to highlight today. Um, First of all, there was a pretty fiery debate over one of the governor's amendments. I would say it was somewhat unexpected beforehand. And this would have forced the Loudoun County School Board to have its elections one year early. In other words, it would kind of speed up the public reckoning that the board is already facing. Now, this was spurred by the fact that a lot of people felt like the school board just spectacularly failed in its basic responsibility to protect kids, especially in light of this whole controversy over the sexual assault that happened to a female student in the school bathroom. And then the male student involved in that being allowed to just stay in the, in the district schools and apparently going on to victimize another student. And so conservatives were saying the state has an urgent need to intervene on behalf of these parents that were feeling like they're being ignored and disrespected. But it was an interesting debate because you also had the Democrats complaining that this represented a total overreach of the executive branch of government and that this whole thing should really be handled at the local level through recall elections. So, Victoria, I really want to know where you come down on this. What are your thoughts? Well, it is. I mean, the loud. this is a pretty unprecedented move. I'm not going to lie. It It is a big reach of government. I, I don't think the Democrats are actually wrong on that. It, the, the governor is reacting to what a disaster Loudoun County School Board has been and whether or not that's the right move. But the parents are looking for help. And the fact, I mean, our Founding Freedoms Law Center, for example, just recently we've been in court with a lawsuit against Loudoun County School Board for blocking out parents. So we're literally there saying, look, we need somebody to intervene because the parents aren't able to get their their voices heard. We've had other lawsuits where they've been trying to recall school board members, right? So they've been in court, the parents themselves. We've had these assaults. We've had trespassing um, convictions because parents dared to stay and try to continue to testify after they, quote, had a, you know, shut down a school board member and had an unlawful assembly. So you have such a disaster zone. The governor's just trying to help. So it's it was a pretty wild thing that he put this amendment on. I didn't expect it to pass. I think the Democrats are not wrong. It's very unusual for a governor to do this. But I think it's great that he's being so responsive to what parents are looking for. He's trying to say, look, I hear you and I'm on your team and I'm trying to do something about it. Exactly. Because he campaigned on listening to parents. Yeah. Well, another fascinating debate was over a religious freedom amendment from the governor. Now, interestingly, this was an amendment to a bill sponsored by a left-wing Democrat that actually got unanimous support from the whole General Assembly. Her, her bill got unanimous support. And her bill was worded to require protection of any outward expression of religious faith, especially when it came to things like public accommodations or employment and that kind of thing. And the bill's sponsor explained that it was meant to protect people wearing things like headdresses or hijabs. And now the governor tried to add on an amendment further clarifying the language to be more legally accurate. Victoria, tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I mean, her bill, it did note certain kinds of things, but it, what it was saying is we're going to define religion as your outward expression of your faith, including these kind of things. So it didn't, it wasn't just about those items. And so the governor, all he really tried to do was make, take language that is more commonly used. These are, that's sort of an uncommon way to do a bill, to sort of name certain things in a list of what could be a thousand things of ways that people have outward expression. So he just simply put words that were already in the code in other places and said, we're actually talking about your practices, your observances, that kind of thing. He just used more general terminology. But boy, you would have thought, uh, you know, <laughs> let's just put it this way. Even though we would argue it was just clarifying, they didn't take it that way. They took it as, wait a second, we were just kind of aiming for these religious practices. And all of a sudden he's including Christians. I mean, you would have thought this is really about um, two different you know, we're going to, you know, they want to protect one group of religious people and the governor is trying to include all religious people. It's almost like they're trying to do that thing of creating special categories instead of equal protections. It's very alarming. I mean, it just seemed like a lot of left-wing leaders in the House of Delegates got a little hysterical about it. Let's just, for example, listen to what Delegate Marcus Simon's comments actually were. So what this bill is about, just so we know, because there's a broader context that's happening here, and we know the governor is paying attention to the national debate on a lot of these issues. He seems very, very interested in the national debate on a lot of things. Um, and so we have Supreme Court cases about postalization, right? The coaches who want to kneel and say, hey, be a good teammate, kneel and pray with me to my God, to Christ. And we have things like that that are happening. We have people that want to discriminate, want to proselytize. We have teachers that don't want to use pronouns on the basis of their whole extent of their religious beliefs. That's what this amendment is about. That's what this amendment is trying to legalize it's not at all what the patron wants to do. And she told you it's not what she wants to do. And this is a hijacking of a bill by the governor to get national attention. You know, the thing that sticks out to me listening to that is it is just glaringly inconsistent that they're super passionate about protecting religious freedoms for people wearing things like Muslim attire. And, you know, we would also agree that those people should have that freedom of religious expression, same as Christians. Um, but as the problem is, as soon as you bring in protections for Christians who want to pray or express a biblical viewpoint of sexuality, of course, that's all of a sudden a bridge too far. I think there's something specific that rubs them the wrong way when you start talking about Christians, because you heard that, you know, he mentioned Coach Kennedy. I mean, that's what he was referring to was the Coach Kennedy case, which we've talked about, which is about that football coach who dared to pray on the the football field. And you could tell he was talking about it as a bad example of proselytizing. Like, how dare someone do this? Like, we're this okay dangerous if you... thing might happen. Exactly. Yeah. He can, you know, how, you know, we can we can wear headdresses, but don't dare pray. And I think, you know, it's funny because as a Christian, you think, well, there's power in the name. We know there's power in the name. And I think I think they literally do shudder when people go into prayer. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, usually we go into our inconceivable segment right about now, but I thought it would be great to end today's show with the powerful prayer provided at the Virginia March for Life by Robert J.R. Gurley, a pastor from the World Outreach Worship Center in Newport News, and he's also president of the Virginia chapter of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. I hope this blesses all of you as much as it did us when we were able to hear it in person. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your stance on life. We know that you're pro-life. In John 10 and 10, Jesus, you said you've come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Father, we thank you for the courage of the Virgin Mary, Father, who had an unexpected pregnancy, but glory to the Lamb, she carried the child and then delivered the child who would in turn deliver mankind. 
Father, we thank you for allowing us to participate in this historic event and allowing us to see a, another day that was not promised to us. But we pray that you would extend that grace and mercy to the tens of thousands of Virginians yet to be born. May they also live to see such a day as today. God, we thank you for all of the organizations, the churches, and the ministries, and the donors that made this event possible. And we ask that you bless them and give them the increase so that they continue, can continue to lift up their voice and cry out for those, according to Proverbs, Father, who are marked for death, who cannot defend themselves. Father, we ask you to raise up church and government leaders that will, that will work with community leaders to introduce and pass legislation specifically designed to shut down this industry of iniquity called abortion. And we ask for those monies, God, that have, been, that have been lining the pockets of this evil empire for years to be reassigned to ministries, churches, and organizations that will protect the sanctity of life. Father, these organizations that will continue to minister to the mother and the child far after birth, Lord. We ask that you, as we prepare to march physically on the streets of Richmond, I pray that we do so fully cognizant that the march must not only be in Richmond, but we must continue to march when we return homes to our homes. We must continue to march when we return to our cities and our towns, and we must lift up our voice like a trumpet and spare not. Let the message be heard around the world that from the womb to the tomb, Virginia is for life. We ask you for this in the full name of your son, Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.